Hey, Retrospectors, for our third birthday, we've filmed an hour-long Q&A answering your questions. We discuss our favourite facts, how we make the show, and what we've learned along the way. If you're already supporting us on Patreon, thank you. You can watch it right now at patreon.com slash retrospectors. And if you're not a Patreon member, sign up. You don't have to pay a thing to become a free member and watch it now. So check it out. It's free. Patreon.com slash retrospectors. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. It's March 14th, 1978, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. To this day, KFC's logo still bears a smiling, almost Santa-like portrait of Colonel Harlan Sanders, whose 11 secret herbs and spices made his chicken company one of the top fast food outlets in the world. But behind that smile was a simmering resentment towards the company that he sold that boiled over into a full-blown defamation suit, which came to a quite bitter, though slightly anticlimactic conclusion back on this day in 1978. And I mean, although I've got to say I appreciate your use of simmering and boiling, it didn't go unappreciated <laughs> by me in this culinary lawsuit. It's all gravy. <laughs> no, Ollie, only Arian. <laughs> oh, I'm just boneless. But Colonel Harlan Sanders wasn't so much simmering as, I mean, if we're going to use a culinary metaphor, his rage was just sliding down the side of the pot in streams by this point in history <laughs> due to this really unusual relationship that he had with KFC, which he had founded and then he had sold out of it in the 60s but he remained as the figurehead of the company but he was probably the least effective figurehead in history because although he was iconic (laughs) appearing in all the ads he was publicly slagging them off throughout the 1970s I mean he died in 1980 if he hadn't died you can only imagine how fractious the relationship would have become it's so typical (laughs) of the American dream though isn't it like it's it feels emblematic of what happens to a lot of these corporations it reminds me of our episode the self-service revolution which was about the first modern supermarket, the Piggly Wiggly, and Clarence Sanders, no relation, who founded that, sold out when the business was at the peak of the market and then got annoyed when he lost control of the business, couldn't let go, and so set up Mm. a rival chain with his own name in the title, if you recall. But it's like a reverse of that, where Sanders' name and image is all over the original chain, and then he's so upset by the quality having sold out to this enormous corporation, which is the rags-to-riches American dream that he'd lived, that he can't help himself going round telling everyone their gravy tastes like slop. But his face, literally his face, is on the packaging, it's on the door, it's on the commercial. It's not just his name, he's, he's the mascot of this thing. Well, that's right, but he'd been going around bad-mouthing the company for so long, as Rebecca said earlier, but actually this particular lawsuit came about because the branch of KFC in Bowling Green in Kentucky sought damages for libel and defamation to their reputation in particular after Colonel Sanders had gone on the record to a paper called The Courier-Journal and said the following, The stuff on the mashed potato, for instance, my God, that gravy is horrible. They buy tap water. <laughs> what? Where am I 
in the States. Anyway, they buy tap water for 15 to 20 cents, a thousand gallons, and they mix it with flour and starch and they end up with pure wallpaper paste. And I know wallpaper paste by God because I've seen my mother make it, he said. And so then he said that it tasted like sludge and then he criticized the new crispy recipe as being like a damn fried dough ball stuck on some chicken. And so he just laid into them. And this particular branch then brought a lawsuit against him. But they lost the case, ultimately, for technical reasons which basically amount to this. He never actually mentioned Bowling Green specifically, and to defame a whole class, that is, KFC itself, the statement must be applicable to every single member of that class. So he both didn't defame this individual restaurant, but he also didn't defame KFC as a whole, or at least they couldn't prove that he had done. And so the case, although it ultimately went to the Kentucky Supreme Court, was thrown out and amounted to nothing. And also, I mean, just on a more straightforward basis... There was nothing in his contract saying that he shouldn't give his opinion about KFC. Because why would you put that in his contract? Because he founded <laughs> KFC. Like, no one would have ever imagined that this is what he'd devote a decade to doing. <laughs> uh, no, and in fact, part of his deal when he sold out was that he would not only be the face of KFC, but also that he would be their official quality control tester. Even though that role didn't seem to actually, you know, he, he was basically allowed to say what he thought, but it I couldn't find any evidence that KFC particularly reacted to any of his criticisms. So it wasn't really an official role, but he had just, what a delightfully tense relationship between a corporation and its mascot (laughs) who hates them. This was just the last thing in a series of public comments that he had made on KFC throughout the 1970s in particular. When the company was sold, he sold it to somebody, I can't remember who now, but then they sold it to Hoibline, this mega corporation, and they struggled to know what to do with it. They didn't have a background in fast food restaurants. And so the 70s were a difficult time for KFC, not helped by the fact that they had Colonel Sanders saying things like, in 1976, he went out on the road with the New York Times food critic Mimi Sheraton. They went to a KFC restaurant where she describes him going into the kitchen, tasting things, abusing the chef, saying, what's going on here? This is terrible. Yeah, apparently he swore like an absolute trooper. Yeah. So at odds with his grandfatherly southern image as well. <laughs> it's just hilarious, isn't it? Imagine you're like 17 years old, you work in an outpost of KFC for minimum wage, <laughs> then up pops the colonel in a limo, steps out wearing the white outfit, the guy who's on the packaging you serve, comes into your kitchen and goes, this <laughs> tastes like bollock. I mean, you would be, <laughs> you wouldn't know how to respond, would you? What a power trip. If you're like, well, you made it, man. It's your 11 secret herbs and spices. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, he laid it on the line. He said, he, he told this reporter, I'm sorry I sold it back in 1964. It would have been smaller now, but a lot better. People see me up there doing these commercials and they wonder how I could ever let such products bear my name. It's downright embarrassing. And this is the same time that he's appearing in all of the TV spots for KFC. I mean, to be fair, from his perspective, his whole thing had always been about quality. And if you think Mm. about it, it's kind of why fried chicken is a better fast food than a burger, because anyone can actually grill a burger. It doesn't take that much effort. Whereas to make chicken like he did, he used to pan fry, not deep fry. He added his 11 herbs and spices, having brined the chicken overnight in buttermilk. I mean, it was properly home-cooked southern cooking delivered quickly or relatively quickly. There used to be a big queue when he started his first franchise outside a Shell petrol station that he ran and built it up from there. So his whole thing was like, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And I've I've right. developed the... He was almost the Heston Blumenthal of fast food chicken, right? I've developed the perfect recipe. And then, you know, these huge corporations came along and paid him an absolutely unrefusable amount of money. But the thing they took away was that perfection. 
Yeah, there was a company executive who was quoted in this New Yorker feature where, again, (laughs) you guessed it, Colonel Sanders is criticizing KFC. But this uh, company exec said, let's face it, the Colonel's gravy was fantastic, but you had to be a Rhodes Scholar to cook it. It involved too much time, it left too much room for human error, and it was too expensive. And I suppose that's part of the thing that went on after he sold the company. He had already started turning his thing into a franchise, but at the point at which he sold it, then it turned into the this mega thing with you know branches in every part of the world and thousands of outlets and so on. Plus, also incidentally, they started to experiment with alternative <laughs> foodstuffs, including beef. In 1968, they launched the Kentucky Roast Beef Restaurant, which was this very short-lived chain that started in Las Vegas and then spread from there. But again, the problem was that they were trying to do things, even though this was post him selling out, but they were trying to do things in this sort of high-quality way that just didn't work with the prevailing trend at the time, which was towards cheaper, more affordable, swifter food. And so, you know, it just didn't fit with with, uh, what was going. And I suppose neither did he. That's why he was left behind by what became the KFC juggernaut. Yeah, I mean, when he sold out in 1964, precisely because he was sort of overwhelmed by the success of the chain, it was beyond his personal control. There were 600 franchises in the US and internationally. There are now 22,621 KFCs around the world, which gives you some idea just of of the sheer scale. Well, speaking of other countries, Sanders said himself that he'd traveled to 44 countries, but he said he always preferred American food and particularly that of the Southeast. And he said, I've never been struck by French food, only the sauces are good. (laughs) And he said, I've never had the chance to eat anything in Italy uh, except in the Hilton Hotel. So I'm not sure how well-traveled he really was. Uh, But he said that uh, he used to work on a farm as a teenager that was run by a German farmer, and he did like German food. He'd be a phenomenal judge on Bake Off, wouldn't he? Yeah, he'd just be like, nope. Just, yeah. Imagine that, like, iconic outfit, but also, like, swearing like a trooper and spitting everything yeah. out. And be like, they take like <laughs> shit. What a brilliant TV moment that could be. Tomorrow. I saw them described as well as the first celebrity couple that you could have on the front page and the back page of a tabloid. Love the show? Support the show. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 